When I think of the word reset, I think of all those spiritual times when circumstances have not gone my way, when life has slipped between my fingers. I, I think of jumping on top of turtles and killing dragons with fireballs and jumping over flagpoles to save a princess. I think of being an Italian plumber named Mario and having a brother named Luigi taking on Bowser together. That's right, when I think of Reset, I think of Super Mario Brothers. I learned a little bit more about my perfectionist nature when my Mario would die too early in the hero's saga. I didn't want to play the rest of the game with only two Marios left and not going to be able to get another Mario to level four. I'll hit Reset. And just like that, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, there was another Mario right there full of life, unblemished, full of promise, ready to take on whatever he was going to take on. Now, for those of you who were not playing uh, Nintendo in the late 1980s, uh, the game is pretty much as strange as it sounds. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's about two Italian plumbers whose only skills are jumping, uh, smashing bricks, collecting coins, a lot of coins in one single pocket, and they all have to, they have to save a princess from a dragon and his evil army of Koopas and killer turtles. That's it. You missed it. <laughs> Resets. Or, or maybe you think of reset as when you have to reset your phone. It's not working right, I'm going to reset it. Or your, your cable modem or your wireless router, where you actually uh, go through the, this really advanced process of unplugging the power supply, <laughs> counting to 10, putting it back, and wow, just like that, it all starts working again. Reset. Imagine feeling overwhelmed and stressed and your heart beating and just, you just feel so anxiety-ridden. And then upon realizing this, you, you press a button under your wrist. Release. And ah, I feel so much better. A, a, a reset for the body. Oh, I, wish, I wish it were. I mean, resetting our hearts, resetting our souls is not a button that we push. In our series, Reset, We've been talking about the need to seek rest and renewal in our everyday, busied, and hurried lives. August comes in and we, we feel that there is like the second New Year's that is upon us. And it's practices like Sabbath keeping the, uh, and our weekly and our daily rituals and, and finding sustainable life rhythms that are going to help us find rest and renewal. Now, I'm a believer of this series because my family and I, we need to find a sustainable pace of life that balances our faith, that balances our family life and our values, and hopefully the, the healthy expectations that we have for our children and for ourselves. But if we are seeing all of this as about being just about one day, we may miss the deeper issue, Sabbath-keeping, Sustainable rhythms of life, the way we spend our times and our energy, all those things are a heart issue. A confession, if I may, and it may not be the most spiritual of, of confessions. Sometimes when I hear that we need to stop and, and rest and allow ourselves to be filled and renewed and trust that God will fill us, I, I feel this resistance coming from within me. I sometimes feel like I'm caught in this big game of, of Simon Says, where as I'm reading the Bible and listening to messages, I feel like 
I'm told I have to, I have to do this and do that and live missionally and, and, and live with purpose and, and serve the common good and be in community together. And then all of a sudden I have to stop. Whatever, whatever it is, whatever I'm doing, just, just stop right there. And then go again really fast. It feels like I'm in a zero to 60 type of a thing, right? I'm married with four children. I work on Sundays. And I think I have what I, what I would call, hopefully, a healthy and ambitious desire to get things done and to get things done as well as possible. Maybe you can relate. I was raised to ace the test. A passing grade was not good enough. It was not living up to the potential. I mean, I, 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 it meant that I did not work or study hard enough. I don't want my life to feel like a passing grade. Now, I happen to come from a very wonderful, hardworking, very communal, very Christian family, also an immigrant family, and I'll share a little bit more on that later, but studying and working hard was always a part of my life, and I imagine you can relate to that in your ways as well. Now, somewhere in all of this, I came to this misguided conclusion that God's standards were actually lower than mine. <laughs> Somehow, I, I, I had this delusion that God is generous with his mediocrity, and he loved me so much that he wanted to give this to me. If you haven't been practicing Sabbath, or maybe you're just getting started with it, I just want to give you a heads up. The first few times that you do Sabbath, you'll find it to be as ridiculous as, it possibly, or as, as you probably thought it would be. You'll, you'll be sitting there wondering, like, when am I supposed to feel something? Because I don't. I'm trying. The other, the other part of the day, you'll, you'll wonder, like, is it a violation of the Sabbath to replug the Super Nintendo game and play Super Mario Brothers? Is, does, is, that, is that okay? Worse is you'll be with people, family or dear friends who are practicing Sabbath, and they're having an amazing experience with it. They come to you afterwards and they say, oh my goodness, does your soul not feel so refreshed? And you look at them not sure if you should lie or just like, what, what, is, what is wrong with my soul? I have, a, I have a broken soul. You didn't feel anything. Well, it's not just a day off that you need. We need to reset our hearts. We need to reset our hearts. The spirit of Sabbath is about resetting our hearts. So when we talk about hearts, we need to address a few aspects, three in particular. Our fears our expectations, and also look at what really is controlling us. We'll find that all these three are related, and sometimes they actually take the place of each other. And these are heart issues. I'm convinced that a significant part of the reason that we live at the hectic pace that we do is because of the feeling of FOMO. You know FOMO, right? FOMO is the fear of missing out. Now, it is similar to YOLO, you only live once, but where the idea of YOLO comp compels you to do something unique or crazy or extraordinary, FOMO is different. It compels you to do something that could be ordinary or possibly mundane or something that's just not really about you. You do YOLO for the adrenaline rush. You do FOMO to avoid pain, shame, and regret. Examples. I didn't really want to go to that party or that event, but I had FOMO. Or when you're unable to make a decision because of FOMO. Or when we, we, when we buy stuff because we have this fear of we will miss out on something. 
Our closets, our homes, our toys, are they not evidence of our FOMO? Acting out of FOMO is, is an attempt of outmaneuvering regret. And so this fear of missing out is one of the reasons that we drive ourselves at this crazy and frantic pace. I, I can't miss this, otherwise I won't know what's going on. I, we have to do this or we will be left out. We have to do this or our children will be left out. And this fear becomes a driver of life. Now the entire FOMO system is based on a, a series of half-truths. Yes, when you, work, when you work ahead, you'll feel that you are less behind. That part is true. But it's only half true. How is it that you can work all these hours a week at this breakneck speed and, and, and only end up with a growing to-do list and still have that nagging feeling that you haven't got enough done? I'm still behind. How is that? It's a half true. It's good that our children take music lessons and play sports and, and are, are, have this attempt of being as well-rounded as possible. That is a good thing. But that too is only a half true. How is it that we have so many well-rounded children that are unfortunately burning out, who are sleep-deprived and very overwhelmed with life? In a New York Times article that was published earlier this year called Best, Brightest, and Saddest, it was reported that the suicide rate among teenagers has increased from 6.1% to 8.3%. And overachieving teens were a significant part of that increase. The fear of missing out can cripple, and the first thing that we must do is acknowledge our fears. So I ask you this morning, what are you afraid of missing out on? If you're anything similar to me, your fear starts off with a hint of nobility, and then it mutates from there. I start off by thinking, you know, I, I just want to live up to the calling that, that God has given me. I, I'm working these out, this many hours a week, and, I, and it's just not enough, and I am, I'm not... I'm not helping enough as, as I need to at home. Uh, I'm actually bringing stress into the home. But I have to work. I have to get things done. Otherwise, I'll fail people. I'll fail God. I'll fail my calling. I'll fail my family, myself. And, 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 and all, you can just feel the spiral. And then I ask myself, what, what else am I going to do? All my degrees are in religion. And, and I'm not a very good salesperson. I'm going to end up being whatever job you dread the most, insert right here. Right? <laughs> I have this fear that my children are going to come up to me on this imaginary day when they're teenagers or adults, and, and they're going to say to me, you didn't help me prepare for life enough. You didn't invest in my talents. I always had to play catch up with the, with the other kids. The other kids were always ahead of me. Oh, I could use a hug. <laughs> Maybe you could too. But what we also really need to do is to confront this fear of missing out. And as we do that, we also have to examine our silos. Silos? Yes. When we think of silos, we typically think of these cylinder containers on farms that are used to store grain. But for today's purposes and for the sake of our metaphor, we're going to define silos as the containers that store the evidence of our work and our future plans. So this includes where we live, our financial accounts, our dreams for the future, all that, etc. And if you feel that your silo is not in the shape that you wish it was in, 
Well, Jesus has a parable for you. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it begins this way. Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus turned to his disciples. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now here's the context. Two brothers go up to Jesus and they're, they're, they're fighting about their inheritance. And Jesus begins with these words, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now I'm a bit of a contrarian. I'm a bit argumentative at times. And I know you're definitely not supposed to argue with the Bible. You're not supposed to argue with Jesus. And you probably shouldn't do that from the pulpit. But for the sake of exercise... <laughs> For the sake of exercise, perhaps as we wrestle and unpack this a little bit, maybe, maybe a greater truth will emerge. It also just feels good to get it out. First, I'm not sure, if I was, if I was giving advice to Jesus, I'm not sure this, this verse, this passage is really going to convict me. For the simple fact, I'm not that greedy. I mean, I, I don't need a, a whole lot of things. I just need enough. Okay? I don't want you to go without. I don't want you to starve. I don't want to starve. I don't want our families to suffer in any way. I actually want you to be happy. I just don't want you to be happier than me. <laughs> right? Can you relate? But, you know, I'm, I'm open-minded too, so let's continue to listen to, to, to Jesus. And whether, you know, you know he's on, he may be onto something. You know, he goes on to give this parable, and and he's telling this parable about a rich man. You know, where, and I just want to interrupt again and say, you know, I, Jesus, you lost me again. You know, the, the, the first rule of public speaking is to know your audience. And, you know, your, your audience, your original audience, there were very few men like this who owned all, like, this type of a silo and had, like, you know, like, this type of a problem. And, and many of us don't feel that our bank accounts will not be able to, to hold on to, to you know, our, our income, right? They're going to have to just tear down the bank and build a new one. Like, like we just, we've never said that. We've just never said that. But the point of this parable is, is, is not about what to do with our wealth and not what to do with our abundance. We must remember that the materially poor are just as prone to covetousness as wealthy people, just as prone to greed as anyone else. And this is a stern warning against pursuing, our greed, uh, pursuing out of greedy motives. It's a warning against self-reliance. It's about the lack of trusting in God and becoming the God of our own lives, our, our own providers solely. This is when prudence turns into greed. This is when praying for daily bread turns into materialism. This is a parable against the dangers of self-reliance. And the result is harsh. 
I mean, you almost want to stop and interrupt God again and say, God, did you really have to demand this person's life? I mean, could you not just have knocked down their silos and then like taught them what it would mean to, to, to trust in God? This is not a feel-good parable by any stretch of the imagination. Instead, it's a warning. That's what, that's what parables do. They warn and they speak truth. And so when Jesus calls this man a fool, he's not just being mean. The, the word fool throughout the Old Testament was a term that described anyone who acted without God or who acts without wisdom in destructive ways. The fool is self-centered, thinking only of himself. In fact, in the parable, this individual does not even think about sharing his abundance with, with those who are in need. He thinks about only, only saving it for himself. And he's probably a decent fella. I bet if we could interview him and, and, and talk to him like, to see like, you know, what, what was going on in his mind, he would have said, you know, like, the past few years have been kind of hard on me. And here I finally had like, a really good crop. And, and I just didn't want any of it to go to waste. So, yes, I got a bit carried away. And yes, I should have done this and I should have done that. But this is where, again, this noble intention mutates and takes on a different direction. Jesus finishes the parable by saying, look at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and see how the Father provides for them. Can I confess a little more? I mean, I, I mean that's nice, right? But, I mean, don't you just want to slip up your hand and say to God, God, Father, um, you know, and maybe God would interrupt and say, you know, this is not a this misnomer when I let you call me father and I call you son. Like, like I really mean this. Yeah, I know, God, I know. And this the whole thing just washes over you. But um, it, I, I, the thing is, I, 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 want to, I want to dress better than the lilies of the field, if I may be so blunt. <laughs> I, I want to wear shirts with collars and buttons. And, and I don't want to look like everybody else. See? I wear, I'm wearing a gray shirt and, and jeans. Like, I don't look like anybody else. Right? This is so individualistic, right? And, and when it comes to, like, you know, the, the, the birds and the ravens, do you know what they eat? I mean, they eat carcasses and worms. I'm not saying that, like, I want to change the prayer from give us our daily bread to give us our daily, you know, surf and turf. But, I mean, I want three meals a day, and if it wouldn't be so much, maybe a little bit of ice cream. I mean, that, that is, that would make me a believer, Right? Part of the reason and part of the truth, I believe, that we're living at this frantic pace because we're not really sure that God is going to provide adequately. And so we decide that we better make up the difference. And then in the next verse, often missed by this argumentative spirit, this contrarian spirit, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as well. Not even the, the most successful, not even the wealthiest, most powerful people that you can imagine look so good. Jesus is telling us, you're afraid of going without, but I'm providing more than you could possibly imagine. You're afraid of your body starving, but let me tell you, it is your soul that has become anemic and malnutritioned. Come, abide in me. Let me fill you. Find your rest in me. Let me show you what the good life really is about. Today, we should also be asking ourselves, what are our silos and what have we put inside them? Pharaohs, 
When you think of pharaohs, you, you, you think of a few things. Of course, you think of ancient Egypt. And if you were raised uh, in the late, late 80s, uh, you think of that, that really ridiculous pharaoh, pharaoh song that everybody made you sing. Speaking as an Egyptian, I hated that song. <laughs> the pharaoh. For our purposes, we're defining pharaoh as the figure of control and oppression demanding our tireless work and freedom. Figure of control and oppression demanding our tireless work and freedom. No one likes pharaohs, not even Egyptians. People ask me every so often, like, hey, how do you feel about the treatment that the ancient Egyptians got in the book of Exodus? You know, I, we didn't like that at all. We don't like how the pharaoh, you know, caused all these plagues. We don't like the pharaoh. I have insider knowledge on this, believe me. <laughs> now, I'm really proud and grateful for my Egyptian heritage. I'm not sure you know, but Egypt was, in fact, the very first civilization on our planet. We created language. We created numbers and oxygen and love, and you're welcome. <laughs> the ancient Egyptians, they invented the aliens that actually built the pyramids. And we also invented the Chinese as well. And we got along much better with the Chinese. Wonderful, wonderful people. And so together we evicted the aliens and sent them far, far away, and you're welcome for that too. I mean, they just drank all of our water. I mean, Egypt was so, like, you know, just filled with, you know, lakes and all this stuff, and it's all gone now. It's aliens. <laughs> now, I'm proud of my Egyptian heritage, as you can tell. And I'm, I'm grateful for my parents who have instilled a, 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 a diligent work ethic and have taught us to live with intention and to, to live responsive, uh, in, in responsible and faithful lives to God. Uh, my parents are wonderful people. I actually feel a little bit bad for you that I'm, I'm, the, I'm your first impression of them. Um, they are wonderful, wonderful people. But my parents, were, they were born and raised in Egypt and they immigrated to the States in the 1970s. Uh, and I was born in New Jersey a few years later. Uh, I actually have a, a picture of myself here. Uh, I'm, I'm the firstborn of, of my family, um, and my, my, my parents wanted me to be ahead, so they taught me to drive at three years old. <laughs> now, when you're raised in, in an immigrant home, and the subject of college comes up, and, and again, this is a loving home, you're told that you only have three options to pick from. Some of you know this. One is medicine. You can be a doctor, a dentist, a pharmacist, or a medical scientist, and that's a really legitimate option. We hope you consider that. Two, uh, you can be like an engineer or, or work in like you know, computer technology, you know, something that is always going to give you a job, you know, something that the world is always going to be in need of. And three, and if you must, and if you feel that God has given you an extraordinary gift of creativity and, and great people skills and you're charming and you're wonderful and you're just utterly brilliant, then and only then you can be an accountant. <laughs> but that's it. Those are your three. My dad's a dentist, my mom's an accountant, and like that, that, is, that is it. I majored in biology. I, I, was off to, I, was, I was in college and I came back um, and I said to my parents, I, I don't know. I think God is calling me into the ministry. My dad's an elder at the church, and my mom's like this really committed, you know, churchgoer and, and all that. And they kind of looked at each other like, there's only three options. <laughs> quick, quick family narrative. My, my, I have wonderful, these two wonderful grandmothers in my life. And, and my, my one grandmother um, prayed that one of her grandchildren, one of her 14 grandchildren, 
would, would become a pastor. So I was the fine prince, uh, apparently. I was the loophole in, in, in the, the only three options. Um, but that's part of the story of our family. But in immigrant families, there is this extraordinary pressure to, to, to achieve and to perform and to make the most of these opportunities that this wonderful land of America has brought to us. We have these, these classic narrative stories of coming on airplanes with only two suitcases and only $30 in the checking account and making this incredible life that, 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 you, are, that you are enjoying. And, and the, the money gets less and less you know, as, as the story is told over and over, right? There are no art history majors in an immigrant family, right? 95% of art history majors have parents that were born in this country. I'm pretty sure that's true. Now, I'm sure you can relate in your own way. Every family has their own narrative. Every family has their, their story and their kitchen table conversations that say, son, daughter, you got to get a scholarship. You got to hustle. This, this is the story of our family, and this is what you are a part of. And this is, this, this is the reality here. No one is going to hand you anything. And so we work hard. We compete. And we fail, and, but we try harder. And we stress, and we worry, and sometimes we succeed and overcome an obstacle. But then three new other obstacles appear. And we've, we find ourselves in this cycle, and this cycle keeps repeating. And if we don't stop, this cycle consumes, and it takes over, and it takes ownership of our lives. And it's here, in a, in a very mean irony, we discover that we have another pharaoh. You are living under the control of the expectations of someone else or expectations that you have adopted. And perhaps you have created your own pharaoh. It's when the American dream turns into a rat race. And that's not what any of our parents, that's not what any of us have ever desired. But that is real. And this message is, is, is not about you know, avoiding you know, going to great schools or this isn't about uh, avoiding scholarships in any way. Uh, this isn't about you shouldn't play soccer on Sundays or anything like that. I, for one, love seeing kids in uniform in church, you know, doing all the things that you know, they're, they're trying to do. This message is actually about idolatry. This is about when chasing after the achievement, chasing after the success, chasing after whatever it is becomes the idol. So it's about idolatry. Are we our own pharaohs? Is this why we slave away at work and then we actually protest about the idea of having a Sabbath? It's very important to remember when the children of, of, of Israel left Egypt and the giving of, of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, like the, the timing of that is really crucial for us to remember. Because in so many words, God, the great liberator, is saying, there was this pharaoh, this person of control over you that you have been liberated from. And you are free. And for one day, I want you to celebrate that. I want you to live in this freedom. I want you to do the things that make you you. I want you to be a, a, a community of worship and a community of, of, of relationship building. For one day, this Sabbath day, that is what we do on Sabbath in addition to observing the other commandments. But the calendar is not our Pharaoh. Our personal expectations cannot morph and turn into our Pharaoh's. We, we cannot allow these things to control us. And it's practices like Sabbath keeping and prayer and worship 
that allow us to be more and more of our true selves, the true selves that God has intended us to be. So regardless of whatever life stage you find yourself in, and we all want to make the best use of our time and energy, I would love to encourage you, part of the best use of that time is actually stopping and resetting the heart. Some hopefully practical thoughts here, and, and none of them are meant to, to become legalistic or, or, or be rules. The, 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 think of Sabbath as actually a gift. So when it comes to weekly Sabbath keeping, I would love to encourage you to actually take a real day off. And, and, and not do some of the things that like, you know, some of us who, who think of themselves as crafty, like myself. Well, maybe I'll take a day at half speed. Or maybe I'll take a half day off or something like this. Do your best to try to take a, real, a full day off if it, is, if it is possible. And if it's not, start with what you can and, and grow from there. God created us to, to, to be unique. And, and Sabbath lets us do the things that we've been meaning and craving to do. And the things that make us feel like ourselves. And that is good. I'd also like to encourage you to go on vacation. Since the start of this series, uh, we've heard a number of people saying, I haven't been on vacation in years. Uh, and it's not because we don't have opportunities or vacation time. Um, it's because I don't really enjoy them. And you may have some you know, workaholic tendencies, right? I would love to encourage you to, to set aside a time where you get away from it all and you unplug. Because I truly believe that there's only certain things in life that God can show us once we have unplugged and removed ourselves from the, the typical pattern of our lives. It's in those moments where we become detached that we just kind of like look at an ocean or, or look, at, look from, you know, from a plane and see these clouds or just look at life through a different angle where we are reminded by something that we may have forgotten or we learn something completely new and we say, oh my goodness, I needed that. If... if uh, I understand many of, many of us are addicted to our, our, our devices and our phones, and, and I would love to just encourage you to spend some time in saying, I'm not going to pick up this device even when that bell rings. And even though that bell may, means like, oh, it might be really important, I would love to encourage you to recognize that that little device has become your pharaoh. And that is pitiful, right? That thing is not our pharaoh. It's a tool for us. It is not a, a control mechanism. For my single friends and, and my single parent friends and, and those who find themselves in, in different stages and other complexities of life, know that I appreciate that your weekends are extremely valuable and there's only one of you to get all these things done. But may I also humbly suggest that it may be you that needs Sabbath the most. And so I would love to encourage you to release yourself from some of the expectations that have been placed upon you and again, do the things that are going to refresh your soul and, and, and bless your, your community, your home, your, French, your friends. Do that. And to remember that what Matthew Sleeth, what he said to us in week one, do not let the practice of Sabbath keeping become legalistic. Let it be life-giving. I, I find myself um, in, in a really hectic pace in, in life right now. Married, we have four small children uh, and, and I'm surprised by, like, between the piano lessons and soccer and, and all the birthday parties, like, how all this just begins so quickly in, in, uh, with all these little children. And there was this one weekend where we were invited uh, to, to three birthday parties on, on one day. And our children apparently are just very popular. 
um, or we give great gifts, one of the two. And it was, it was around the time where we were really intentional about, you know, we really need to work on our Sabbath keeping. And so we've been taking the Jewish Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. And we still do some fun things, and our kids are still involved in, 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 in things like that. But this idea of going to three parties in one day, it was just, was, was, we were actually trying to figure it out. Because we were, we were, my wife and I were, we were solid problem solvers. And finally, we came to the conclusion, no, we, we just shouldn't do this even if we can. Good news, we're still friends with all the people who have invited us uh, to, to their parties. Our, 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 our children are still, um, you know, they still have friends. They haven't been, you know, kicked out of the community or anything like that, right? But that's part of our fear. Our, our children will miss out on something and will create awkwardness with people. Do not live in that. Make Sabbath work for you. And, and Sabbath around my house, they are not peaceful days. They are not quiet days. They are not days filled with, with reading and gardening. Our, our, our Sabbath is loud. It's noisy. But it's our noise. It's not the noise of the world. It's our noise. And we're grateful for that. So whatever it is that makes you you and whatever it is that's going to, to make it work for your family, I would love to encourage you to pursue that. And for this to be a day that you actually look forward to. Some, some things that have, that have helped me in our, in our Sabbath keeping, uh, some books that I would love to suggest to you in addition to 24-6 by Matthew Sleeth um, is, is also Sabbath as Resistance by Walter Brueggemann and uh, the book called Rest, Living in the Simplicity of Sabbath by, by Carrie Kent. Uh, and we'll post these books on our, on our, on our blog tomorrow uh, if, if, if you didn't get a chance to write them down. But grow in your Sabbath. Take some time to, to read. Take some time to write. Take out a journal and, and collect your thoughts and, and, and rediscover some of the things that you were really good at and that you just haven't done in a while because the job took over or the family life took over. I imagine there's some really artistic, some really creative people who have let these wonderful passions you know, take, take a back seat for other and, and very noble reasons. But man, doesn't it feel good to explore some of these things that you haven't explored in a while? And Sabbath is a day where you can do that. And lastly, I would love to encourage you to spend the day in meaningful conversation with people that you care about. And if that conversation turns intense, to call a timeout. No, we are not going to talk about this today. We're going to have wonderful and encouraging conversations with each other. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll be miserable another day. But today, today is about being life-giving, right? That is the beauty of Sabbath. That is the power of Sabbath. That is the gift of Sabbath. It's a day where we get to ask ourselves, God, why did you put me on this earth? What is it that you want me to do? And who is it that you want me to become? And how can I serve others? Friends, resetting our hearts exposes our fears, our self-reliance, and reveals what really controls us. Resetting our hearts exposes our fears, our self-reliance, and what really controls us. And it's here that we find our identity, our purpose, and our joy can be renewed. We have filled our lives with so much of that fear of missing out. And with, with all this silo making and all these creation of these, these pharaohs. But Sabbath lets us stop and confront all these fears and plans and controls. And it allows us to reset the heart. To reset the heart to who God has made us and to reclaim the calling that he has placed on our lives. And this is what we get to do on a day of Sabbath. Will you pray with me?
Our Father, we are grateful that you are such a loving and generous God. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you are trying to do in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that, that we would be attentive, that we would be diligent, not just in the things that, that we are working to do, but also be diligent in the spiritual parts of our lives. May we be diligent with our souls as well. So help us, Lord, to stop, help us to rest, and help us to seek the renewal that can only come from you. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.